And that heart attack, as bad as it was, <laughs> uh, paled in comparison to recovering from the open heart surgery. The heart attack almost killed me. The open heart surgery just, I mean, it was... Ugh. But I, I had time to reflect. Now, up to that moment. Now, I was a syndicated radio host then. And, uh, of course, I had to put that out. And I got... Uh, I got that put out there and everything, and then um, I, I was I was touched <clears throat> at everybody that reached out to me and uh, you know wished me well and all that other stuff. And I mean, people that they were talking about my heart attack the night I had it on a radio show in New Jersey. I, I to this day I don't know how that happened. One of the listeners uh, that I refer to as one of my little brothers called the hospital I was at at the emergency room asking if it was true. So I don't know how that all got out there. But here's what I reflected on. What I was reflecting on was uh, I was still here. The other part I reflected on is I, I, my hospital stay was nine days. And it was everybody that was involved with me, their world stopped while that was happening to me. That wasn't the sobering thought. The sobering thought was when I got out of the hospital, I noticed the rest of the world had not even noticed which was fine because the world turns, right? As the world turns. So I guess the biggest message I got from this was that I was given this second chance. And that's true. I was given a second chance. I was given a second chance to, uh, to live. And I mean, to this day, nine years later, if I turn the wrong way when I'm laying down or uh, my, my chest cracks, now where they separated i still have wire in my chest this would get picked up if i went through a uh it got picked up at the uh international ballet i go through the metal detector and lights go off i just pull my shirt open and let them see the the the, the divot in my chest the zipper as they call it the other thing i learned the other thing that was uh sort of interesting was my biggest disappointment was that I didn't get to thank Russ Castle um, for uh, the the inspiration because he was my inspiration to take the plunge when uh, they they when they beckoned at me and said hey talk in talking to this microphone that was where I got it from and he passed away before I could do that he did that in October of 2014 and I had my heart attack in Jan on January 12th of 2015. And then in July of 2015, then uh, a guy named Dan Heron, who worked at uh, WORD, told me they might be looking for a fill-in, and I came down there and I, uh, you know, did my thing, and I, I landed that gig, and I've been here in some way, shape, or fashion since then, which was a little surreal to be sitting in Russ Castle's chair without having had the benefit of thanking him. The point of the matter is that it was never over. Just like this country is not over. I was as close on the text line I was being asked that I've suffered through depression after surgery. Not depression so much as anger, because um, I had a Widowmaker, and the Widowmaker is very much a, I made it. This wasn't something my body did. Uh, 
<clears throat> back then I was smoking cigarettes like I was getting paid to. And I wasn't eating well and I wasn't exercising at all. And I mean, it was a perfect storm. I flew into the hill. And yet, so far from being depressed, I was amazed. I was amazed. I had a crack team. My, my nurses in the ICU, the, those those ladies and gentlemen, they took such good care of me. My cardiopulmonary people, they took such good care of me. My cardiotelemetry people, they took such good care of me. And when I got out, uh, when when like when I got to cardiotelemetry, they said, do you want to walk? I said, yes. And this is the thing. This is the thing. If you are one of these people that have had one of these life-altering things and you think it's done, that was what struck me because when I was in cardiotelemetry, they asked me if I wanted to walk and I said, yeah, because I was bound and determined this was not the end of things. And I was, as I was walking, uh, I would measure my, I would measure my progress by how many windows I went past. And I was walking past other rooms of other patients who had had open heart surgery. And I could see some of these poor, poor people in there. And I, I would look at them and they would look at me and I sort of realized that they were afraid to do what I was trying to do, that this will shake you when something like this happens. Cause once it starts, there's no stopping it. All, all you can do is try to fix it once, you know, catch it and try to fix it. And, uh, that just made me more determined to do it. That's why I ride bikes. That's why I get up and walk as much as I can. That's why I try to lose as much weight and keep it off as I can. The, uh, that's the, you know, the, some of the various things that I do now are all geared towards what is a continuing rehabilitation to this day. But the primary thing is that it was never over. And that was as dark a moment in my life as I've ever, ever experienced. It wasn't, it wasn't some combat related thing. It wasn't some, uh, it wasn't some other life altering thing. This was all me. I did it. And I had to fix it. And that that's why I look at things the way I do now. Because there's nothing that we can't fix. We just have to start. We just have to begin. And for some of you, I know that you look at the country and you're like, oh, we've gone too far. We've gone this, that, the other. Um, no, we haven't. No, we have not. Now, we can't keep going this way. That's without a doubt. But uh, that is not the way things are. No, I did not have angioplasty. I had open heart surgery, a bypass, a double bypass. But I had a really bad double blockage. <laughs> I had a widow maker. Anyway, just commemorating that today because I, uh, you know, that started the journey to where I am here because I, I got a chance to be here and boom, here I am. And, and I'm enjoying it. So when we get back, well, Texas, Texas leads the way. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.
Texas. Yeah, they're, uh, I wish South Carolina would be more like Texas. The GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. The U.S. Border Patrol has something called the 100-mile jurisdiction. That is, within 100 miles of the border, there's a few things they can do. But most of their stuff has to do with points of entry, that kind of thing, right? And now the Texas National Guard has seized control of a park at the border and is blocking Border Patrol from entering the area. Part of an effort to stop the surge. And it will very likely increase whatever tensions happening between the resident and the governor. So this this park is Shelby Park in the city of Eagle Pass, Texas, and it has been at the center of the crisis that has engulfed the U.S. border. Eagle Pass Mayor Rolando Salinas was informed of the decision, although he told reporters it was not something that he had requested, and uh, and the border patrol has left the area, according to him. Now, the, uh, Texas has something called the Texas Military, Military Department, which that's interesting to me. And it has maintained a presence in the park since 2021, including with security points and temporary barriers. And um, they said the current posture is to prepare for future illegal immigrant surges and to restrict access to organizations that perpetuate illegal immigrant crossings in the park and the greater Eagle Pass area. This is what is referred to as taking operational control of the border, which is something we could be doing all over the place. If they would leave Abbott alone, he would take control of the Texas border. He would take control of it. And the only real way to take control of it is going to be a concentration of force. Wall is a, is a half measure. You've got to have a lot of assets in place. Now, as far as the Border Patrol's mission, Abbott isn't touching it, according to uh, the National Border Patrol Council, Brandon Judd, whatever he is in that. He said his seizing control of Shelby Park allows our agents to deploy to troubled spots that experience high numbers of gotaways. Governor Abbott's action should be seen as a force multiplier, except it won't be seen as a force multiplier. It will be seen as an infringement on the federal government's overreaching power. And yet, this is the thing, I have long thought that one of the reasons that all of these, uh, we, we have all these things happen uh, like this is to try to inundate these states that are the sticks in the mud for the leftist agenda. And of course, Georgia is one of those. Georgia is one of those. Now, California, not so much. You don't hear about California doing this. You don't hear about Arizona doing it so much, although Arizona has had a national park that is right there on the border that was taken over by the uh, taken over by the cartels during the Obama administration. I don't know what the status of it is now, but, you know, it's it's not a new thing. The, the, the smugglers and the cartels have been running roughshod over the region for a very long time. Now, Abbott launched Operation Lone Star in 2021 to surge resources and law enforcement to the border. He also set up the buoy border barrier in the Rio Grande River, and that sparked a lawsuit. Because we just can't be having that. 
They also sued Texas over a recently signed anti-illegal immigration law that allows state and local law enforcement to arrest illegal immigrants, which the administration says interferes with the federal government's authority and frustrates U.S. immigration operations and proceedings and hurts relations with foreign governments. Well, hey, uh, I can't say what kind of a statement it is. Let's just say it's brass. They've got a pair made out of brass over that one. So they're out there saying, well, by you getting out there and upholding the law, you're getting in our way. They're, you know, and they're basically saying we're pro-illegal immigration. You can't be doing this. We're in charge of this. We'll decide how. But that's not the way it's working out. That's not the way it's working out. And the only way this is going to change is to hurt the blue cities, which is happening right now. It's what's happening right now. Texas has sued the administration for cutting and destroying razor wire set up by Texas to stop illegal crossings. That had been set up in areas very near to Shelby Park, and that is an ongoing lawsuit, and the administration is currently blocked from cutting the wire. But White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre said last month, we believe that Governor Abbott's policies and political stunts are not safe, not safe for Texas communities and our CBP, our law enforcement on the ground who are trying to do the work. It puts them in harm's way and they dehumanize and demonize immigrants. And that's what his political stunts do. Except Corinne, you and Joe don't really have a say in this. This is not a, the way Abbott handles Texas is not part of the Constitution. Unless, of course, he's going up against any of the Bill of Rights, which he is. Now, Abbott's office dismisses the criticism, but, um, you know, we know what this is about. This is about trying to inundate us in a, in a, in a, the entire, everything that's going on right now today. Climate change, gun control, immigration, uh, all the crime that's going on. This is all one big cloud and piven cauldron that they they they're trying to put everything into and stir it up stir it up until they get whatever it is they think's going to emerge from it whichever frankenstein comes out of that pot now what we should be doing we every every governor in every republican governor i'm not going to go out there and say that we should expect Gavin Newsom to do it because Gavin Newsom and Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis really are the only three governors i know of And I mean, those three are the ones that actually do something proactive. Hochul and Murphy and some of the and, and Pritzker, all these other guys, they're all copying Newsom. They're all trying to be like Newsom. They all want to be like Newsom. But those three actually run their states as they see fit and defy anybody to come. And that's the way it is. That's, you know, when uh, when when Newsom was out there making deals with China. Well, he could do that. He could do that because he's the chief executive of a state. And chief executives of states can do that. So, uh, in, and, you know, this is a federal system that we exist in. So, in, within the federal system, um, you don't get to tax the United, these, these states and the people of these states. And then at the same time, while you're getting them to fund your little operations that have become so, so pervasive in the, uh, or invasive, if you will, in the United States. Um, and then at the same time, micromanage the states when the governor is willing to run the state himself. It just doesn't work that way. So 
I wish South Carolina was more like this. I wish we had a Greg Abbott in our state house. Texas has also upset all the sanctuary cities across the country who thought it was a smoking hot idea to be a sanctuary city, even though there were no illegal immigrants getting to them in most cases. So Abbott has been obliging for them and sent them. And he's not, he's not picking the destination. He goes in there and says, are you planning on staying here or do you want to go somewhere else? And if they say, Nueva York, he's like, here's your bus ticket. Bon voyage. And off they go. So all of these virtue signaling states and all these virtue signaling cities, they're getting what they wanted. They're getting what they were voted in to do. Yeah. We're going to talk to Michael Letts from investusa.org when we get back. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Streaming live on Facebook, X, and Rumble. Joining me now from Invest USA is Michael Letts. Good morning, sir. Morning, Bill. Always a privilege. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Let's talk about uh, Hezbollah, shall we? Yeah. Uh, now, how, yeah, how likely is it? Well, first of all, how dangerous is Hezbollah to us right now? Hezbollah is much more dangerous than Hamas. Hezbollah is centered in Lebanon, but they also, you know, primary objective is they back up Hamas when it comes to Israel. But Hezbollah has a pattern of not just staying in their own lane. What I mean by that is kind of like if you're in that area, you can be targeted by Hezbollah. Hezbollah takes great pride in being able to export their terrorism to Europe, and now they have centered on exporting it to the United States. So, is it, would it be, uh, you know, uh, Obama used to refer to uh, ISIS as the JV team. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Would would we look at Hezbollah as the varsity team? Hezbollah would be the varsity team. That would be correct. And here's what we need to understand. This is what is not being reported. So I'm giving uh, your listeners uh, intel, uh, inside information. We picked up 10 Hezbollah terrorists trained in Iran. Their citizenship is Iranian, uh, crossing the southern border, and about five of them crossing the northern border in the last seven days into the United States. So their chatter, that's what we call it, uh, from intelligence in the Middle East is not just hyperbole. Right. They're asking for Hezbollah to plan to organize and to implement terrorist attacks on this country. And they're shipping the people over to do that. And that's the sad part about it is that's not a big concern of theirs. They figure they can get into America pretty easily. And they've already, you recall, about roughly. 14 to 21 days ago, we intercepted IEDs on the southern border. Those were tied in with Hezbollah. Right. So they are uh, 
they're putting their ducks in a row, shall we say, and Hezbollah always has a signature pattern. When they begin to put infrastructure in place, they move quickly. They don't say, okay, we're going to put this in place and bury it in the backyard and five years later come up and start moving forward with it again. They they allocate their resources to be utilized. So that's, right. that's the scary part. Now, the, the Hamas-Israel conflict seems to have simmered down a little bit. If it does, if it didn't continue to escalate, Hezbollah becomes no less of a threat. Despite that, because those guys tend to simmer, don't they? They don't. They if, if they don't ever get out there and go, oh well, that's gone now. Now we can think about the weekend. They they they, they always once they make a decision, it just never goes away, right? Correct. And you have to take a look at the larger picture, Bill. Uh, Iran is backing uh, the firing of rockets on shipping uh, oil tankers. And actually, you remember they boarded in a, a, what we believe to be a oil tanker that perhaps is registered ultimately in the United States yesterday. Right. So they are expanding. It's Iran that's expanding. People think, oh, well, Gaza is where the center is at. If Gaza is, is starting to settle down, then we are settling down. No, they've shifted. You're doing exactly what Iran wanted to do. They've shifted their attention to trying to get a conflict with Iran. Iran is edging for a fight, trust me. They are telling people that, you know, they were, will put the great Satan in his grave before the great Satan, uh, that they are just as powerful. They can fight back just as well as Russia or China or anybody else. Sad part about this conversation, Bill, is, you know, we've allowed the Iranians through Obama to not only possess billions of our tax dollars, but to gain great momentum in the development of nuclear devices. Right. And so there is some merit to the fact you're not dealing with just uh, Hamas shooting AK-47s and firing off some smaller armaments. You're talking about a country that definitely has the capacity for nuclear nuclear, uh, nuclear war. Do you think if they uh, – now, I, they, 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 they've had momentum and then somebody blew up their momentum because they attacked their subterfuge. Didn't their subterfuges get uh, cyber hacked too? They did. It yeah, did. They, they've been targeted before, so I'm sure they'll be targeted again. They're probably being targeting now as we're speaking. But well, if they, they ever succeed, yeah, if they ever succeed at making something and figuring out the delivery system for it, do you think they hesitate? No. And you say, why would you make such a quick assessment? You could easily view when they're stupid enough for these patrol boats to fire, launch, uh, handheld, solar-held missiles on destroyers, uh, frigates, cruisers, you know, aircraft carriers from the United States, you know, in the, in, in the Gulf Sea. That's pretty stupid. You know, I mean, that's like a little five-year-old coming up and, and taking a swing at, you know, a seven-foot, 400-pound guy. It just is not a smart move. Well, I just... Uh... Hezbollah has always worried me more than Hamas. Hamas is, uh, they're eager, but they're not organized. They, 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 they're they not organized and they're eager to make a, 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 an impact in their region. Right. So uh, Hezbollah is eager to make an impact on the national, on the international scene. And that is what they are poised to do. That's what they do. You remember it was Hezbollah that bombed the U.S. embassy and killed all the uh, 231 American Marines during Reagan's turn. In, in Beirut, yeah. 
Beirut. That's correct. Yeah, they they they've got a they've got the resume. Still can't hear. So I'm being told uh Maestro, I'm being told they can't hear on the stream. I'm turning it up a little bit. I don't want to turn it up too much. How can, about now? Well, you're I, I hear you just fine. The the okay. people on the stream aren't hearing you, but I'm working on that. So it's an ongoing issue. It's always happening. It's, that's <laughs> the way it is, Michael. It, it, the, 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 the ongoing drama of live radio, it's always this way. But you know what's interesting how this all ties in, Bill, is what is occurring on the uh, art national scene. And the fact that uh, we refuse still to do anything to block their access into the country, talking about the border, it's beyond me how somebody can see a issue that 80% of the country is worried about and upset about and want to just pass it off and do absolutely nothing about it. That's just mind-boggling to me, Bill. Well, that's... That's the resident, and that's his administration right now, I guess. Mike uh, Michael Letts, is a, he runs something called investusa.org, and what this is is this is a company that gather, puts they put together a protective vest for law enforcement that they can work in all day that's going to protect them really well, that's going to take the beating it's going to take. And then once they get, the, get those, they give them to law enforcement. They don't sell them to them at a break or anything else. They just give them to them. They've done that a lo- over 11,000 times now probably working on 12,000. We're just not keeping up with the numbers. And also a writer at uh, AmericanThinker.com. Thank you for joining me this morning, sir. Thank you, Bill. God bless you. God bless America. We're going to continue to keep the public informed through your efforts. Thank you. Roger that. When we get back, a lot of the car rental companies, they've been buying a bunch of Teslas. And guess what's for sale now? A whole bunch of Teslas. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Not too long ago, Hertz, you remember Hertz, don't you? O.J. Simpson used to run through Hertz. Hertz committed to making electric vehicles a quarter of their rental fleet. They partnered with Tesla, which meant they were buying one of the more expensive ones, and uh, that pushed the Tesla value even higher. And they were hoping the scale of the demand and the usage would lower the cost across the board and make fleet maintenance all that much easier for Hertz and other rental agencies. That was never going to happen unless, I guess, Hertz became part of Tesla. They've hit reverse and taken a big hit to the bottom line. And they intend to sell off a third of its existing electric vehicles and replace them with gasoline-powered vehicles. And we get this from Bloomberg. Hertz Global Holdings, Inc. plans to sell a third of its U.S. electric uh, vehicle fleet and reinvest in gas-powered cars due to weak demand and high repair costs for its battery-powered options. They they were going to buy 100,000 of these things. And um, this underscores the waning demand for all electric cars in the U.S., The elevated costs associated with electric vehicles persisted, according to Hertz Chief Executive Officer Stephen Schur. Efforts to wrestle it down proved to be more 
challenging. They're going to have to write off $245 million to do this. That's a depreciation. And that may continue for a while because it, these used EVs they have, well, Tesla just dropped the price, the MSRP on the, you know, on a new Tesla. So that takes the price of the used Tesla and drops it down too. It drives it down. So um, Hertz's share price has already dropped 4.3 percent when they made the announcement, <laughs> and uh, you know they they'd been making noises about that this wasn't really working out. They plan to slow down their acquisition of Teslas for two reasons. The repair costs that were supposed to decline at fleet scope still rose. And then Tesla began to slash the sales prices for new vehicles, which inverted the value of their fleet. See all of these things, all of these assets, these guys build and everything like a rental car company. One of their assets is going to be cars. When somebody takes and take devalues the cars, then that's a hit on their overall valuation. So Tesla rapidly dropped their prices to spur sales because sales are waning. That lowered the resale value of the, uh, of the Teslas and the Hertz fleet. Then the repair costs for these things were, were higher than expected. And it was double what it cost to fix a gasoline powered car. Hertz has 50,000 electric vehicles, currently of which 35,000 are Teslas. And right now, 11% of their fleet is electric. Now, they remain committed to buying 100,000 cars from Tesla and 175,000 EVs from General Motors. But they won't meet their goal to have EVs account for 25% of the fleet by the end of 2024 because they can't afford to do that. So what they're trying to do is trying to work out a way with part suppliers to make, to lower the repair costs. And as the prices settle, their plan is to buy more of them. However, this begs a question. If they plan on still buying electric vehicles. Why are they going to buy gasoline vehicles with the money they get from selling these electric vehicles they're getting rid of? They, they say it, they expect this action to better balance supply against expected demand of EVs, which there's not that much of an expected demand. The thing about the electric vehicle is it was always a niche luxury item. Right? It, it, I, and I mean, think about any luxury item out there that very few people have. And I mean, there's a lot of them that, you know, that I'm never going to own. And probably an electric vehicle is one of them. But now I also want to know how much money can they raise in this sell-off because Tesla undercut the value. And demand may not be the only problem in the secondary market. The maintenance cost that proved prohibitive for Hertz at fleet scale is worse if you're an individual. Then there's the questions about battery life and charging infrastructure. And uh, that's still that's still sort of a, you know, that's kryptonite for some consumers looking at this. And buyers may be leaning back to the gas-powered vehicles for used cars, too. Then I'd like to know how many of these they actually rented. How many people were coming up there going, oh, so you have Teslas. Well, can I rent one? Most people rent cars for travel to other cities where they have less knowledge of the infrastructure and have no access to charging stations where they're, where, you know, 
wherever their hotel is, very likely. There's still gas stations at almost every major intersection in American cities and suburbs. And refilling a tank takes a lot less time than recharging a battery. And that matters on vacation as well as on a business trip because your vacation's not forever, right? It's, it's for a limited amount of time. And uh, an electric vehicle is not a very practical choice for a rental. It's probably more expensive. And, uh, you know, if Hertz can't do it, who can? But without a doubt, I'm sure that at Hertz, their DEI and their ESG scores were awesome. I'll bet they were just awesome. Because they were doing all the right things, weren't they? Pushing the electric vehicle thingy, all that other nonsense. <sighs> it just, it, you know, there's just no stopping. When, when the left thing starts rearing its ugly head, it just takes on a life of, it, of its own. Until you find out that it can't support its own weight. When we get back, we're going to do a little Q&A about what's going on with China. Because they, they're making some more noise. I'm going to speak with Nan Su from Epic Times. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas. <laughs> 